uh, tonight. First of all, uh, I was convicted uh, as your pastor for not having directly addressed this topic yet. Having been pastoring here for, uh, you know, a number of years, uh, it just really struck me over this last month that I had never directly dealt with this. Maybe you uh, have been saved for a long time and you know what you believe regarding this. Or, well, more importantly, you know what the Bible says regarding the topic tonight. Uh, I hope you do, but certainly the, the next generation, those that are coming behind, need to know what the Bible teaches. This, especially uh, this month, is, is before us. It's prevalent. It's pushed upon us. It's something that you cannot get away with or get away from. And I want you tonight to look in the pages of Scripture, and I would like to address the topic, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? This is prevalent in our society today. It's uh, pushed on us from every side. And uh, if you're not careful, you'll begin to start adopting some of the philosophy and mindset with regards to homosexuality that is pushed on you from the world, and I want you to know that we need to think biblically, not worldly. We need to think in line with Scripture and the pages of Scripture and uh, what the Bible says, not what uh, the news says, not what uh, some professor says, not what the uh, LGBTQ uh, you know, pr- promoter says. We need to follow the Word of God. The Bible is not silent on this matter. The Bible is not vague or ambiguous in any way. The Bible is very clear, and every preacher all over this country who stands in a pulpit should be just as clear. It is a travesty and a betrayal of the highest order that any person that calls themselves a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ would stand in a pulpit and say anything other than the clear teachings of the Word of God regarding homosexuality. Secondly, let me say to you by beginning and laying the foundation that this is not hate speech, regardless of how the government defines it. This is not hate speech. A 218-pound, eight-year-old boy was removed from his parents' care in the state of Ohio. I want you to know that I do not believe the state had the right to remove the child, that the, the state needs to get out of the home. The state needs to allow parents to raise their children. They need to stop infringing upon the parental rights. But the state went in and removed the child. The state said that the parents were putting the child in danger, letting him continue to live that way. Beloved, it's love that tells you the truth. The state looked at that situation and said, hey, this is not in the child's best interest. We're going to remove that child from your care. The word of God is clear that it's love that tells the truth. Galatians 4.16, Paul said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The state would come in and remove a child from a home for reckless endangerment because he's overweight. But if the parent wanted to be part of the in crowd today, if the parent wanted to be praised by his friends and people at work and recognized and maybe even be put on the news, they could encourage their child to transition. They could move their child to have irreparable damage done to his body. They could promote him to participate in the homosexual lifestyle, even as a young boy. And that would be okay. But it's not okay. 
even though the state knows, I'm talking about they know without a question that somebody who participates in the homosexual lifestyle is 28% more likely to contact AIDS. That's a proven fact. I think it's probably a lot higher than that. But that's the number the CDC has. The CDC said in 2019 that 69% of all HIV cases were homosexual men. The CDC in the United States, this is a quote from the CDC website, in the United States, gay men, bisexual men, account for the majority of all new HIV diagnosis. The CDC said, out of the 1.1 million people living with HIV in the U.S., roughly 700,000 of them attained the virus through male-on-male interaction. So they're going to remove a child because he's overweight, but they would praise a parent for putting their child in that kind of danger, for promoting that kind of a lifestyle. If you don't think that this is prevalent in our society and that it impacts you personally, you're not paying attention. Chick-fil-A is a privately owned company. They're not public. They're, they, they have no... Uh, board that they have to satisfy. They've got no great number of investors that they have to please. It's a privately owned company. They have historically stood for Christian values, family values. They, they financially supported Christian organizations or at least Christian-minded organizations such as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the Salvation Army. I remember just a few years ago when Chick-fil-A took a, a real beating, at least they were trying to make them take a beating, when, they, uh, when the uh, owner of Chick-fil-A, um, Kathy Truett, said that marriage is between a man and a woman. He just said, just made that comment. And you remember they tried to boycott them and stop them. And, and Christians all over this country went and stood in lines at Chick-fil-A to show their support for an organization that stood on Christian family values. And, and they did more money in that day than in the history of their business. I think in, in maybe a month, maybe, I mean, a week, maybe even a month, they did in one day. It's mind-boggling the support that they received. And yet through the pressure of the LGBTQ crowd, uh, they have the LGBTQ crowd said we don't want you supporting Christian organizations and the pressure increased and any place that was publicly at all like such as malls, airports, places like that Chick-fil-A was told you're not going to be able to be in the airport uh, if you support a Christian organization and so because of money Chick-fil-A said Okay, we're not going to support them. So they changed their stand and stopped giving money to the Salvation Army and to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Instead, they, again, it's a private company. They got nobody to answer to. They can do what they want. It's their money. They can put it wherever they want to put it. Instead, they're taking their money and giving it to... Instead of, instead of supporting the Salvation Army, they're giving it to Covenant House, which is a humanitarian aid organization that part of its focus right on its website is the transitioning of our youth. So that's what they're taking, they're, that's what they're supporting. Instead of Salvation Army, they're supporting that organization. 
They stopped supporting the Christian athletes and started sending money to the Southern Poverty Law Center, whose goal is to fight hate. What do you think they think hate is? Yes. And where do you find hate? In any and all Bible-believing Christians. This is impacting you directly. And it's just going to get worse. I want you to know tonight that this message is not a message against any individual. The title of the message is, What Does the Bible Say About Homosexuality? It's a biblical look at the sin of homosexuality. The blatant, open wickedness of the homosexual lifestyle. Their malicious and even militant attitude against all that is biblical and moral. I'm going to strive to refrain from being sarcastic or belligerent. I know in my flesh I, I would, it would be easy for me to do that. But my desire tonight is to honestly to try and help, not to hurt. I know that there are people in our church who know people that are in bondage to this sin. I know there's people in our church who have family members who are in bondage to this sin. That is very clear. And they certainly don't need a pastor who's a jerk. But they do need a pastor who will tell them the truth. So this evening, I desire to give you what the Bible says about homosexuality. This by no means will be an exhaustive uh, look at the passages of Scripture, but just want to try and touch on these passages, put them in the hearts and minds of our young people, let them see biblically what the Bible says about this. It's not just personal preference. It's not just a, a personal attitude, and some people like it this way, and some people like it that way, and, and whatever, let, let, you know, just... Let people do what they want to do. It's all okay. No, the Bible is very clear on this. First of all, I want you to see that to participate in the homosexual lifestyle, you need to disregard God's plan. You're in Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse number 18. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, and we are going to read some scripture tonight because I want you to see it and understand it. He says in chapter 2, verse 18, down through 25, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature the, was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her out of the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to understand, to participate in that lifestyle, they have to first of all reject God's plan from the very beginning. This has been God's plan. He made them male and female. They, he didn't make any other genders. He didn't make any other possibilities. There's not any other letters in God's book. There is only male and female. And it is God's plan. Now, you have to adapt or adopt the world's philosophy if you think that they were made that way. I know that it's very prevalent in the world. People say, well, I was born this way. No, you weren't born that way. You were pushed into becoming that 
many times. There's different things, and we're going to talk about that. I have listened to and read many testimonies in relation to this topic and preparation for this. I've been looking all month trying to see when the Lord would have me preach on this and been pondering this thought for a little while. And in the different testimonies I read, can I tell you that oftentimes it included the exposure to pornography at a very, very young age. Many of the testimonies, the first time they were exposed to pornography uh, was four, five, six years old. Often their testimony will include uh, some type of sexual abuse as a young, as very young person. And that, uh, coupled with a prolonged exposure to pornography, uh, brought their mind around to desiring those things that are not natural. It, it's not that they were born that way. Things in their life... Uh, pushed them that direction. It is a lie of the devil that they were born that way. The proliferation of transgender movement that is rooted uh, in our society today, it comes from the fact that it is promoted on every hand. Kids in school every day for this last month have listened to uh, Pride Month, promotion. Uh, boy, look at, look, we, I, I watch videos of schools having pride parades in the hallways of their, of their schools and kids having to dress up and all this rainbow stuff and go down through the hallways and cheer and, and, and dance and, and play and, and all of this uh, for Pride Month showing their pride for, well, what kid doesn't want to be a part of that? What kid doesn't want to be praised? What kid doesn't want to say, oh man, if I come out like one of them, then I will be lifted up. I'll be praised. I'll be said, I'm so brave. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't any child want that? They are pushed to it. They're asking these young men and young ladies, they're asking them over and over again, don't you feel like a boy? Don't you feel like a girl? Don't you feel like this? They're, they're holding these things in the schools and pushing them towards these things. You know, they're taking these young people to a time in life when it is very normal for them to dislike the opposite gender. A time, you know, four and five-year-olds, you ask a four-year-old, five-year-old boy, do you like girls? He's going to say, ugh, no, I don't like girls. He, he's going to, it's, it's natural for him at that point in his life not to like girls. And so they, they, then they start telling him, well, you must like boys then. Well, a, a young guy like that, four, five, six years old, he's a lot closer to his buddies than he is to one of them. Sure is. Well, yeah, I must like boys then. Because I sure would rather be with them than one of those icky girls. Left to themselves, they'll grow out of that. Pretty soon, their, their guy friends are going to say, man, since you met her, you haven't spent any time with us. That's what happens naturally. But they're taking these young children at a time in their life when they're most susceptible, when they're naturally dislike the opposite gender and pushing them towards accepting or liking their own gender. It's craziness. An article from the Boston Gay Community News, Michael Swift, the article is entitled, Homosexuals, Two Parents. We shall sodomize your sons. This is an article that was published he said, we shall sodomize your sons, emblems of your feeble masculinity, of your shallow dreams and your vulgar lies. We shall seduce them in your schools, in your dormitories, in your gymnasiums, in your locker rooms, in your sports arenas, in your seminaries, in your truck stops, in all your mail clubs, in all your houses of Congress. Wherever men are with men together, your sons shall become our minions and do our bidding. 
They will be recast in our image. They will come to crave and adore us. All laws banning homosexual activity will be revoked. If you dare to cry faggot, fear, queer at us, we will stab you in your cowardly heart. All churches who condemn us will be closed. Our only God is handsome young men. We shall be victorious because we are fueled with the ferocious bitterness of the oppressed. We too are capable of firing guns and manning the barricades of our ultimate revolution. This is the mindset, the militant mindset of the LGBTQ community at large. Oh, I know the, the world likes to portray them as the most kind, loving, compassionate people. I mean, they, they make it out on the little sitcoms that the best friend to have is the one that's gay. Because after all, he can help you pick out a tie. Because he knows what colors are. He can help you match your furniture. Uh, he can't change a tire. You know, he can't fix anything. But uh, he's, a, he's a good friend. You see, I've got to be careful because I'm, I, I want to get sarcastic. I want to get, and, and I'll, I, Lord help me. Listen, what we want to do is teach what the Bible says about this. God's plan has always been for men to love women and for women to love men. They were created for each other. That is God's plan. Homosexuality in all of its forms reject God's plan for the family. They can't, they can't have a family. Oh, I know through laws and, and the, the uh, craziness that's in the world today that they have got to the place where in some communities they can adopt somebody. But listen, they cannot have a natural family because that's against God's plan. God's plan is one man would love one woman for life. An investigation done by the CDC some years ago stated that the average number of sexual partners that an homose active homosexual man will have is in excess of 500. And you wonder why the disease is so prevalent in our society. It's one man and one woman for life. Purity. I agree with Clarence Sexton, who said that we've lost this battle for morality in America. It was not lost in our pulpits, but it was lost in our homes when parents stopped teaching their children the word of God. When parents stopped teaching their sons the truth. Stopped taking seriously the commitment to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To hide God's word in their heart. Yes, you should hear the truth and you should hear what's right from the pulpit of our churches. But parents have stopped teaching their kids the roles of men and women. Instead, they have let Hollywood and the public school education system indoctrinate them. Don't be fooled. They have an agenda. They've had an agenda for over 40 years. It's just now becoming so blatant and overt that parents cannot deny it. My father was preaching against the corruption of the public school education system in the 70s. Which is why he started a Christian school in the 70s. And I'll tell you what, the atmosphere in the public school in the 70s was pretty wholesome compared to today. Pretty wholesome. Many of you were part of it and you know the difference 
of what it was then compared to what it is today. Not only do they have to disregard God's plan, but they have to disregard God's proclamations. I heard one Southern Baptist pastor say in a news broadcast that there's over 31,102 verses in the Bible. Of those 31,102 verses, there is maybe, maybe 15 that deal with homosexuality. And he went on to talk about how Christians had no leg to stand on to condemn this sin. But I want you to know it doesn't matter if there was only just one verse. If there was only one verse, one place in the Word of God that God said it was sin, we know it's sin. And we shouldn't do it. We don't need 15 verses. And we don't need 31,000 verses. God said it. That settles it. Before we get too high on our own horses, let me ask you, what are you justifying in your life? We can stand back and say amen and bless God. The Bible is very clear about homosexuality and its sin and, and that no, should, nobody should have any part of it. And, and amen, preacher, that's truth. But what if we covered another topic tonight? that the Bible is pretty clear on. And you've said in your heart and mind, oh, that's not clear to me. Oh, I don't see that in the scripture. Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna abide by that or I'm not gonna do that. It's no different than the homosexual that says I'm not gonna follow the scripture. The word of God has taught you something and you said I'm not gonna follow it. And we stand on our horses and try and condemn the homosexual because he said he's not going to follow it. But we have things that God's tried to teach us or change us. And we, and we want to say we're not going to follow that. Yet we're so righteous and holy because we are following some things that have been revealed to us. But we need to yield and submit to God in every area. What the Bible says about homosexuality, I want you to see very clearly. First of all, God has very clearly stated that homosexuality is wickedness. It is wickedness. Turn to Genesis chapter number 13. You're in Genesis 2. Turn to Genesis 13. The first time we see this sin mentioned in the Bible, it is well known. It is in the city of Sodom. Everybody knows what the city of Sodom is known for. Just a general, just a general thing. Look up on, on Google about, about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. A Wikipedia, not spiritual website at all, uh, talks about the correlation between the city of Sodom and Sodomites. And what it is known for. Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 13. It says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Beloved, we're only 13 chapters into the Bible. We're only six chapters past the flood where God destroyed every single living thing because of the wickedness in the earth. Six chapters later, we see this type of sin that God says is wicked. The wickedness had reached a place that even the streets of the city were not safe. Look at Genesis chapter 19. The people of Sodom were living this wicked, immoral lifestyle. In Genesis 19, verses 1 through 5, he says, And there came two angels to Sodom at Eve, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face towards the ground, and he said, Behold, now my lords turn in, I pray you, unto your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the 
excuse me, wheelbite in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into a house and made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and they said unto him, Where are the men that came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Now, there is a teaching out there that goes in line with the uh, LGBTQ community that this text right here, the sin of Sodom, they say, is a lack of hospitality. That's what they say, and they take a couple of passages and put them together to try and teach that. But that, there's no way, when you look at this passage of Scripture, honestly, that you could say that. Because it depends on who it is you're trying to apply the hospitality to. Because if you're talking about the hospitality of Lot, he was pretty hospitable. Lot brought him into the home, made, made a meal for them, uh, provided a place for them to stay, provided protection for them. Not only that, he sacrificed or was willing to sacrifice his daughters to try and satisfy these means. If, if, the, if the ultimate sin of Sodom was, was hospitality, then this text would, it does, just does not match that at all. We know that that is not the sin. The word here for know, that I may know, that we may know them, is the same word used in Genesis 4 1 when Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It is the same word used in Genesis 4.17 when Cain knew his wife and she conceived. It is no in a biblical sense. That's what it's speaking of. That's what they were after. We see the aggressive nature of the homosexuals here as they encompassed the whole house. Everyone in the city, they came around, they encompassed the whole house. They said, hey, send them out to us. If you doubt that their intentions were wicked, maybe, maybe they were just saying, hey, we want to meet your friends. We want, to, we want to know who they are, as some would have you believe. If that's the case, then why did Lot answer this? Look at verse number six. And Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him. And he said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. If all they wanted was to inquire as to the well-being of their guest or to get to know them a little bit, hey, we want to we meet these guys. If that's all they wanted, why would Lot say, don't do so wickedly? Right. Lot knew their intentions. He said, behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And ye do to them as good as your eyes. Only, you know, there's another thing right there. Why would he allude to the fact that, these, that these, his two daughters were still unknown by men if, if the intentions of those men at the door were not evil? But I'm saying is you'll, if you go out and listen or try and look, at, look into it, you'll hear some messages by people that call themselves preachers that stand in pulpits and they will reinterpret this whole text and try and say it's hospitality. The sin of hospitality has nothing to do with sexuality. But if you look at the text honestly, you cannot do that. He says in verse number nine, and they said, stand back and again, and and they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be judged. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the men, even Lot, and came near to breaking the door. 
these men were not even interested in their daughters, even after they've been offered them. You see, they, they had been, as the scripture talks about, and we'll get there in a little bit, but that they've been turned over to a reprobate mind. That even though they've been offered uh, two young ladies, it was not sufficient for them. They said, no, we don't want that. Give us those men. Their lust had been given over already. If you read verses 10 and 11, you'll see that they were so uh, stricken with inordinate lust that even after they were blinded. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I all of a sudden lost my sight, I might wonder what's the problem. I might wonder, boy, I need to, I need to get out of here. This is obviously not the thing to do. But th- the Bible says that they still, in their blindness, were trying to find the door. That's the kind of wickedness that drives them. Not only was homosexuality seen in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and burned those cities, and I've been there in the place that is believed to be that, and they they still have ash uh, that comes up from the ground if they do any digging there. Uh, even still, they, 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 it's evident there in that place. But it was also something that became prevalent in what was the promised land. In 1 Kings chapter 14, verse number 24, the Bible says, And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all of the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. These sodomites were there in the land, and when Asa became king, he, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, opposed to that which was evil like his father did. The, the Bible is very clear. It says, hey, Asa did right. Asa did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But if you're, if you're in 1 Kings, you could look at 1 Kings chapter 15, verse number 12. What did he do that was right? The Bible says, and he took all of the sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. The same thing is said about Josiah in uh, 2 Kings 23. You don't have to turn there. But I just want you to know that it was recognized as sin. It was recognized as wickedness. It was not, there was no question as to how God felt about these things. God not only said that homosexuality was wicked. I want you to know that the Bible very clearly says that homosexuality is an abomination. Turn to Levit- Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18, verse number 22. He says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. That is, the intimate relationship that's supposed to be had between a man and a woman is not supposed to be had between a man and a man or between a woman and a woman. It's an abomination. Right here, in between God's commendation of Israel for human sacrifice and their false, their false god, Moloch, and his denunciation against bestiality, he writes here about lying with man and with woman and says it's an abomination. Beloved, abomination means something that's disgusting, something that's loathsome to God. It's an abomination. It's disgusting to God. It's loathsome to God. God does not overlook it. God judges it. It is a sin against God, and God will punish it, just like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. In Leviticus chapter 20, we see verse number 13. 
If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. God very clearly stating the sentence for those participating in this activity here in the Old Testament was to be, they were, put to, they were supposed to be put to death, it, but it was an abomination, and it is still an abomination today. You might say, well, Pastor Caleb, that's Old Testament. Wasn't that written to God's people in the Old Testament? Well, let's look over in the New Testament and see what God says about it. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Not only does God say that homosexuality is wickedness, I only just say that it's an abomination, but I want you to see in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 18, that we'll see that he says it's unnatural and it's vile. Verse number 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. I want you to understand that man, God has given us a witness. Very clearly, God has given us a testimony in creation and in our conscience. Man has to ignore those two things to go against God. But he says here, the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse number 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse number 26, he says, for this cause God gave them up to their What's the next word? Vile affections. God says it's a vile affection. I want you to understand, as my study and research for this, I watched a testimony of a man who said, listen, I was born gay. It's not something that I asked for. It's not something that I wanted to be. It's just how God made me. Very nice looking young man. Very earnest and sincere in his presentation. So you have to know what you believe. God didn't make him that way. But he says, God, God made me this way. And what I was getting to is this, he says they're vile affections. What he said is that he, he tried to and he has gathered a movement, an entire movement, and they're, they're in churches promoting this. And they're saying what God wants in relationships is uh, solidarity. God wants consistency. God wants you to, you know, a man is just as able to love another man and stay with him for his whole life 
just like God wants for if, if maybe you're not gay, you're not homosexual, you're, you know, you, you, you're heterosexual, so uh, you stay with your mate for your whole life and God's pleased with that. Well, we'll stay with our mate for our whole life and God is pleased with that. He tries to say, we, we love each other just like you love each other. Why is that wrong? Well, what does God call it here? God says it's vile. It's a vile affection. It's not natural. He says, for even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. There's another title he gave it there. And receiving the things that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, doing those things which were not convenient. They're filled with unrighteousness. There's a whole list of unrighteousness there. But down at the end of verse number 30, we see that it's again stated without natural affection. God has written his law on the conscience of men and made it very clear in creation Men have to cry against their own consciousness, their own conscience, and defy that in order to continue in that lifestyle. Ronald McRae tells how he got into homosexual lifestyle. He tells how after being involved in this, that he went and tried to clean himself up. And he described the guilt and the shame that was all over him. He didn't even know God, but he somehow was trying to ask for forgiveness for what took place. He knew that it was wrong, but he continued in that life for many years. It did not bring him any satisfaction. He was unfulfilled. He always knew it was wrong. He felt the drinking, the partying, the club scene would all bring him satisfaction, but none of it did. He was left empty until one day when his roommate invited him to church. He was introduced to Christ. The next week, he and his friend were robbed at gunpoint, pulled from the car, laid down on the ground. They took all of their possessions, but one of the, one of the guys that had the gun said, this is going to turn into a homicide. And Ronald knew that he could call on God, but he knew that he wasn't worthy of God's love. He didn't call and ask God to save him from this gun. He called and asked God to save him from the guilt of all his sin. He knew he wasn't worthy of God's love or God's forgiveness. But he began to call out to God and began to pray and confess his sin before God. He was still praying when the robbers left and were gone and his friend had to come and pull him out of it. His friend had to get his attention and say, hey, they're, they're gone. He thought he was going to die that day. But he stood up and from that day till this, according to his testimony, he's never gone back to that lifestyle. He's now married and has a two-year-old boy. They can know forgiveness. 
But what I want you to understand is that he knew right off the bat that what he was doing was wrong. When he was able to get honest with other people, he said, I, I felt it. I knew it was wrong. I was trying to wash it away. I was trying to ask for forgiveness, but I didn't even know what I was asking forgiveness for. But there's something written on the conscience of men that they know that is wrong. But when they continue in that sin, they quench and sear their conscience, the Bible says. And ultimately, God turns them over to a reprobate mind where there's no longer any working within them that tries to discern right from evil. There's a whole another aspect here that I'm not going to go into, but we're closing in on the end of Pride Month. Six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And that is a proud look. It is mind-boggling to me that we have a month set aside in our society where men shake their fist at God and say, I know that I'm living in sin, but I don't care what you think. I don't care what you do. We're proud of our sin, and we're going to parade it around. Beloved, it's bad enough that they're proud of their sin. But the problem with our current society is that they're making it where it is against the law for you not to be proud of their sin. And that's where Christians have to stand. Christians have to give the truth. Christians have to be honest. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be mean. But we need to give the truth. What should our response be? Psalms 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. We should hate evil. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. We need to be honest with everyone about what the Bible teaches. Don't be afraid to share the truth of the Word of God. This is what the Bible says. It's a shame that so many preachers with a national, international platform are afraid to give the truth. They hem-haw around it. T.D. Jakes, in an interview, they said, well, has your thoughts on homosexuality evolved? He said, evolved and evolving. Evolved and evolving. It's always changing. It's always growing. We live in a dynamic uh, society and things are different as we move from one day to the next. This does not change. We need to be, don't be afraid to give the truth. We need to train the next generation on what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl. If ever there's been a time that you need to be cautious what you let the next generation do, it's today. Don't let your boys play with dollies. You, you, you draw a line and don't let them, let them act that way. You say, oh, my son, uh, he was five years old and... and he started dressing up like a girl, so he must be, no, he's a curious boy. You need to pull him aside and say, boys don't wear those kind of things because we're boys. Don't let them do that. Don't let them, you, you teach them how to act like a boy. Let them get dirty. Public schools teach homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle, but God says it's an abomination lifestyle. Homosexuals are not born. Beloved, God 
never judged anybody for their nationality. God never judged somebody for being born without part of their brain or being born without one of their legs, being born handicapped or different. They were created that way. God didn't judge them for that, but God judged the sin of sodomy in the scriptures because it's wrong, because he didn't create them that way. God wouldn't judge them for something that he did. We need to witness to everyone we can. Beloved, God loves everyone regardless of their sin. We can't be like the Pharisees and say, oh, I thank God that I'm not like him. But for the grace of God, it would be any one of us. Yeah. God loves everyone regardless of their sin and Christ died for everyone because of their sin. So we need to give them the truth. And I want you to know that not every single, we don't know where the line is. We, we can't say, well, somebody practicing homosexuality has a reprobate mind. They've been turned over already. We don't know where the line is. We don't know where they they have continued in that sin so long that God has turned them over. So we need to give them the truth because they could turn back just like Ronald did. Ronald saw that what he was doing was wrong and God had been convicting his heart and at the right time a friend invited him to to go to church and he was so empty and his lifestyle and all that he had didn't provide anything for him and he said this is not what I thought it was going to be and I need something real. And he went to church and heard about Jesus. We can present them with the truth and be a witness to them. That's what God would have us do. This has just been an overview. Just a quick look at what the Bible says regarding homosexuality. These verses are very clear. They're not vague or we don't have to try and extrapolate out and say, well, you shouldn't do that based on... No, it's, it's direct. It's direct. And we need to make sure we're training the next generation and they understand and see that. Would you stand with me?